Hey guys, we're going to get right into the show in just a second, but recently I've been making a lot of awesome new podcast friends, and I wanted to share some of them with you. So if you're enjoying this podcast, chances are you listen to other podcasts, so I want to introduce you to some awesome podcasts that you definitely need to check out. Hey Michelle, are you a parent who needs a break? Yes, Jesse. Well then come relax with us in the Mums Lounge, where we share our stories and experiences of being parents. We share the good, the bad, and the funny. You mean like the time I forgot to wear pants to work? I mean that, Jesse. Find us on Facebook at the Mums Lounge Podcast. That's M-U-M-S. And don't forget to subscribe on Anchor and Apple Podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Freedom. Freedom to work if, when, on what and how much you want. Freedom to help, freedom to be. On Flipping Genius, we turn can't into can, won't into will, and set our listeners free. Freedom to become Flipping Geniuses. Flipping Genius is a podcast that will open your mind to one of the most lucrative businesses. You've likely heard of people flipping houses for big money, and you may have said to yourself, that looks great, but I don't have the time or the money. We teach you how to do the same thing with cars, and cars can be done for a lot less money, and the margins are usually even better. I'm Randy Lee. I'm the host of Flipping Genius, the podcast about car flipping. I'm a living example that you can be successful with little or no mechanical ability. Look for Flipping Genius wherever you listen to podcasts. Greetings from the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. I'm John, one of the eight presenters of the Great British Mickey Waffle. And waffle on we do about all things Disney related, even the restrooms. I hope you can join us for our podcast with a British accent. We're available to download on the first of every month from your podcast provider of choice and with lots more on our social media too, at GB Mickey Waffle. We look forward to welcoming you to our podcast. And until then, waffle on! Hey guys, welcome to Another World Audiobook. So happy to have you here as we continue on with the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. We really want to reiterate there that there is still plenty of time to sign up for the Sherlock competition. So that's a, a giveaway that we're doing and it's going to be awesome. So make sure to check it out. So now without further ado, I give you the next chapter of the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. Four, the Stockbroker's Clerk. Shortly after my marriage, I had bought a connection in the Paddington district. Old Mr. Farquhar, from whom I purchased it, had at one time an excellent general practice, but his age, and an affliction of the nature of St. Vitus's dance from which he suffered, had very much thinned it. The public, not unnaturally, goes on the principle that he who would heal others must himself be whole, and looks askance at the curative powers of the man whose own case is beyond the reach of his drugs. Thus, as my predecessor weakened, his practice declined, until, when I purchased it from him, it had sunk from twelve hundred to little more than three hundred a year. I had confidence, however, in my own youth and energy, and was convinced that in a very few years the concern would be as flourishing as ever. For three months after taking over the practice, I was kept very closely at work, and saw little of my friend Sherlock Holmes, for I was too busy to visit Baker Street, and he seldom went anywhere himself, save upon professional business. I was surprised, therefore, when one morning in June, as I sat reading the British Medical Journal after breakfast, I heard a ring at the bell, 
followed by the high, somewhat strident tones of my old companion's voice. "'Ah, my dear Watson,' said he, striding into the room. "'I am very delighted to see you. I trust that Mrs. Watson has entirely recovered from all the little excitements connected with our adventure of the sign of the four. "'Thank you. We are both very well,' said I, shaking him warmly by the hand. "'And I hope also,' he continued, sitting down in the rocking chair, that the cares of medical practice have not entirely obliterated the interest which you used to take in our little deductive problems. On the contrary, I answered. It was only last night that I was looking over my old notes and classifying some of our past results. I trust that you don't consider your collection closed. No, not at all. I should wish nothing better than to have some more of such experiences. Today, for example? Yes, today if you like. And as far off as Birmingham? Certainly, if you wish it. And the practice? I do my neighbours when he goes. He is always ready to work off the debt. Ha! Nothing could be better, said Holmes, leaning back in his chair and looking keenly at me from under his half-closed lids. I perceive that you have been unwell lately. Summer colds are always a little trying. I was confined to the house by a severe chill for three days last week, I thought, however, that I cast off every trace of it. So you have. You look remarkably robust. How then did you know it? My dear fellow, you know my methods. You deduced it, then? Certainly. And from what? From your slippers. I glanced down at the new patent leathers which I was wearing. How on earth? I began, but Holmes answered my question before it was asked. Your slippers are new, he said. You could not have had them more than a few weeks. The soles which you are at this moment presenting to me are slightly scorched. For a moment I thought they might have got wet and been burned in the drying, but near the instep there is a small circular wafer of paper with the shopman's hieroglyphics upon it. Damp would of course remove this. You had then been sitting with your feet outstretched to the fire which a man would hardly do, even in so wet a June as this, if he were in his full health. Like all Holmes's reasoning, the thing seemed simplicity itself when it was once explained. He'd read the thoughts upon my features, and his smile had a tinge of bitterness. "'I'm afraid that I rather give myself away when I explain,' said he. "'Results without causes are much more impressive. You're ready to come to Birmingham, then?' "'Certainly. What is the case?' You shall hear it all in the train. My client is outside in a four-wheeler. Can you come at once? In an instant. I scribbled a note to my neighbour, rushed upstairs to explain the matter to my wife, and joined Holmes upon the doorstep. Your neighbour is a doctor, said he, nodding at the brass plate. Yes, he bought a practice as I did. An old established one? Just the same as mine. Both have ever been since the houses were built. Ah, then you got hold of the best of the two. I think I did. But how do you know? By the steps, my boy. Yours are worn three inches deeper than his. But this gentleman in the cab is my client, Mr. Hall Pycroft. Allow me to introduce you to him. Whip your horse up, cabby, for we have only just time to catch the train. The man whom I found myself facing was a well-built, fresh-complexioned young fellow with a frank, honest face and a slight, crisp yellow moustache. 
He wore a very shiny top hat and a neat suit of sober black, which made him look what he was, a smart young city man, of the class who have been labelled cockneys, but who give us our crack volunteer regiments, and who turn out more fine athletes and sportsmen than any body of men in these islands. His round, ruddy face was naturally full of cheeriness, but the corners of his mouth seemed to me to be pulled down in a half-comical distress. It was not, however, until we were all in a first-class carriage and well started upon our journey to Birmingham that I was able to learn what the trouble was which had driven him to Sherlock Holmes. "'We have a clear run here of seventy minutes,' Holmes remarked. "'I want you, Mr. Hall Pycroft, to tell my friend your very interesting experience, exactly as you have told me, or with more detail, if possible. It will be of use to me to hear the succession of events again.' It is a case, Watson, which may prove to have something in it, or may prove to have nothing, but which, at least, presents those unusual and outre features which are as dear to you as they are to me. Now, Mr. Pycroft, I shall not interrupt you again. Our young companion looked at me with a twinkle in his eye. The worst of this story is, said he, that I show myself up as such a confounded fool. Of course, it may work out all right, and I don't see that I could have done otherwise. But if I have lost my crib and get nothing in exchange, I shall feel what a soft Johnny I have been. I'm not very good at telling a story, Dr. Watson, but it is like this with me. I used to have a billet at Coxon and Woodhouse of Draper's Gardens, but they were let in early in the spring through the Venezuelan loan, as no doubt you remember, and came a nasty cropper. I had been with him five years, and old Coxon gave me a ripping good testimonial when the smash came, but of course we clerks were all turned adrift, and twenty-seven of us. I tried here and tried there, but there was lots of other chaps of the same lay as myself, and it was a perfect frost for a long time. I had been taking three pounds a week at Coxon's, and, and I had saved about seventy of them, but I soon worked my way through that and out the other end. I was fairly at the end of my tether at last, and could hardly find the stamps to answer the advertisements or envelopes to stick them to. I had worn out my boots paddling up office stairs, and I seemed just as far from getting a billet as ever. At last, I saw a vacancy at Mawson and Williams, the great stockbroking firm in Lombard Street. I dare say EC is not much in your line, but I can tell you that this is about the richest house in London. The advertisement was to be answered by letter only. I sent in my testimonial and application, but without the least hope of getting it. Back came an answer by return, saying that if I would appear next Monday, I might take over my new duties at once, provided that my appearance was satisfactory. No one knows how these things have worked. Some people say that the manager just plunges his hand into a heap and takes the first it comes. Anyhow, it was my inning that time, and I don't ever wish to feel better pleased. The screw was a pound a week rise, and the duty's just the same as at Coxon's. And now I come to the queer part of the business. I was digging out Hampstead Way, 17, Portless Terrace. Well, I was sitting doing a smoke that very evening after I had been promised the appointment when up came my landlady with a card which had Arthur Pinner, financial agent, printed on it. I never heard the name before and could not imagine what he wanted with me, but of course I asked her to show him up. And he walked, a mill-sized, dark-haired, dark-eyed, black-bearded man with a touch of the sheeny about his nose. He had a brisk kind of way with him and spoke sharply, like a man who knew the value of his time. "'Mr. Hall Pycroft, I believe,' said he. "'Yes, sir,' I answered, pushing my chair towards him. "'Lately engaged at Coxon and Woodhouses?' "'Yes, sir,' 
and now on the staff of Marsons. Quite so. Well, said he, the fact is that I have heard some really extraordinary stories about your financial ability. You remember Parker, who used to be a coxswain's manager. He can never say enough about it. Of course, I was pleased to hear this. I've always been pretty sharp in the office, but I never dreamed that I was talked about in the city in this fashion. You have a good memory, says he. Pretty fair, I answered modestly. Have you kept in touch with the market while you've been out of work? He asked. Yes, I read the stock exchange list every morning. Now that shows real application, he cried. That is the way to prosper. You won't mind me testing you, will you? Let me see. How are Ashires? A hundred and six and a quarter to a hundred and five and seven eighths. And New Zealand consolidated? A hundred and four. And British broken eels? Seven to seven and six. Wonderful, he cried with his hands up. This quite fits in with all I've heard. My boy, my boy, you are very much too good to be a clerk at Mawson's. This outburst rather astonished me, as you can think. Well, said I, other people don't think quite so much of me as you seem to, Mr. Pinner. I had a hard enough fight to get this berth, and I'm very glad to have it. Who, man, you should soar above it. You are not in your true sphere. And now I'll tell you how it stands with me. What I have to offer is a little enough when measured by your ability, but when compared to Mawson's, it's light to dark. Let me see. When do you go to Mawson's? On Monday. Ha ha! I think I could risk a little sport and flutter that you don't go there at all. Not go to Mawson's? No, sir. By that day, you will be the business manager of the Franco Midland Hardware Company Limited, with 134 branches in the towns and villages of France, not counting one in Brussels and one in San Remo. This took my breath away. I never heard of it, said I. Very likely not. It has been kept very quiet, for the capital was all privately subscribed, and it's too good a thing to let the public into. My brother, Harry Pinner, is a promoter and joins the board after allotment as managing director. He knew I was in the swim down here and asked me to pick up a good man cheap, a young pushing man with plenty of snap about him. Parker spoke of you, and that brought me here tonight. We can only offer you a beggarly 500 to start with. 500 a year, I shouted. Only that at the beginning, but you were to have an overriding commission of 1% and all business done by our agents and you may take my word for it that this will come to more than your salary. But I know nothing about hardware. Tut, my boy, you know about figures. My head buzzed, and I could hardly sit still in my chair. But suddenly a little chill of doubt came upon me. I must be frank with you, said I. Mawson only gives me 200, but Mawson is safe. Now really, I don't know so little about your company that... Ah, smart, smart, he cried, in a kind of ecstasy of delight. You are the very man for us. You are not to be talked over and quite right too. Now here's a note for a hundred pounds, and if you think that we can do business, you may just slip it into your pocket as an advance upon your salary. That is very handsome, said I. When should I take over my new duties? Be in Birmingham tomorrow at one, said he. I have a note in my pocket here which you will take to my brother. You will find him at 126B Corporation Street, where the temporary offices of the company are situated. Of course, he must confirm your engagement, but between ourselves, it will be all right. Really, I hardly know how to express my gratitude, Mr. Pinner, said I. Not at all, my boy. You've only got your desserts. There are one or two small things, mere formalities, which I must arrange with you. You have a bit of paper beside you there. Kindly write upon it. I am perfectly willing to act as business manager to the Franco Midland Hardware Company Limited at a minimum salary of £500. 
I did as he asked, and he put the paper in his pocket. There is one other detail, said he. What do you intend to do about Mawson's? I have forgotten all about Mawson's in my joy. All right and resign, said I. Precisely what I don't want you to do. I had a row over you with Mawson's manager. I had gone up to ask him about you, and he was very offensive. Accused me of coaxing you away from the service of the firm and that sort of thing. At last, I fairly lost my temper. If you want good men, you should pay them a good price, said I. He would rather have our small price than your big one, said he. I'll pay you a fiver, said I, that when he has my offer, you'll never so much as hear from him again. Done, said he. We picked him up out of the gutter, and he won't leave us so easily. Those were his very words. The impudent scoundrel, I cried. I never so much as seen him in my life. Why should I consider him in any way? I shall certainly not write if you would rather I didn't. Good, that's a promise, said he, rising from his chair. Well, I'm delighted to have got so good a man for my brother. Here's your advance of a hundred pounds, and here is a letter. Make a note of the address, 126B Corporation Street, and remember that one o'clock tomorrow is your appointment. Good night, and may you have all the fortune that you deserve. That's just about all that passed between us, as near as I can remember. You can imagine, Dr. Watson, how pleased I was at such an extraordinary bit of good fortune. I sat up half the night hugging myself over it, and the next day I was off to Birmingham in a train that would take me in plenty of time for my appointment. I took my things to the hotel in Nuke Street, and then I made my way to the address which was given me. It was a quarter of an hour before my time, but I thought that would make no difference. 126B was a passage between two large shops, which led to a winding stone stair, from which there were many flats, letters, offices to companies or professional men. The names of the occupants were painted at the bottom of the wall, but there was no such name as the Franco Midland Hardware Company Limited. I stood for a few minutes with my heart in my boots, wondering whether the whole thing was an elaborate hoax or not, when up came a man and addressed me. He was very like the chap I had seen the night before, same figure and voice, but he was clean-shaven and his hair was lighter. "'Are you Mr. Hall Pycroft?' he asked. "'Yes,' said I. "'Oh, I was expecting you, but you are a trifle before your time.' I had a note from my brother this morning in which he sang your praises very loudly. I was just looking for the officers when you came. We have not got our name up yet, for we only secured these temporary premises last week. Come up with me and we'll talk the matter over. I followed him to the top of a very lofty stair, and there, right under the slates, were a couple of empty, dusty little rooms, uncarpeted and uncurtained, into which he led me. I thought of a great office with shining tables and rows of clerks, such as I was used to, and I dare say I stared rather straight at the two deal chairs in the one little table which, with a ledger and a waste paper basket, made up the whole furniture. Don't be disheartened, Mr. Pycroft, said my new acquaintance, seeing the length of my face. Rome was not built in a day, and we have lots of money out of our backs, though we don't cut much dash yet in the offices. Pray sit down and let me have your letter. I gave it to him, and he read it over very carefully. You seem to have made a vast impression upon my brother Arthur, said he, and I know that he is a pretty shrewd judge. He swears by London, you know, and I by Birmingham, but this time I shall follow his advice. Pray consider yourself definitely engaged. What are my duties? I asked. You will eventually manage the great depot in Paris, which will pour a flood of English crockery into the shops of 134 agents in France. The purchase will be completed in a week, and meanwhile you will remain in Birmingham and make yourself useful. How? For answer, he took a big red book out of a drawer. This is a directory of Paris, said he, with the trades after the names of the people. I want you to take it home with you and mark off all the hardware sellers with their addresses. It would be of the greatest use to me to have them. 
Surely they're a classified list, I suggested. Not reliable ones. Their system is different from ours. Stick at it and let me have the list by Monday at 12. Good day, Mr. Pycroft. If you continue to show zeal and intelligence, you will find the company a good master. I went back to the hotel with a big book under my arm and with very conflicting feelings in my breast. On the one hand, I was definitely engaged and had a hundred pounds in my pocket. On the other, the looks of the officers, the absence of name on the wall, and other of the points which would strike a businessman had left a bad impression as to the position of my employers. However, come what might, I had my money, so I settled down to my task. Alright, leaving you guys hanging once again here. Been splitting these up just like I said before, you know, this is a labor of love and I put in as much time as I possibly can to get you guys as much content as I possibly can every week. That's just what it kind of comes out to, so I hope you guys enjoy it and if you want to help the podcast grow, the best way to do that is just to tell other people about it and the best way to do that is to participate in the Sherlock Holmes competition. So if you haven't already, go ahead and click on the, uh, the podcast art and that will take you to the show notes or however you get to the show notes on your podcast guest player and from there you can uh go ahead and just uh, follow the follow the steps and that'll get you entered in the competition for a free uh four pack of audiobook giveaway which is something we haven't done before so it's a pretty big prize definitely worth uh taking the couple minutes it would take to to leave a review share it on social media and tag me and then just keep listening that's all you got to do so thanks for guys for entering and sharing the podcast and we'll talk to you next week Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When I was in school, I absolutely hated writing. It wasn't until I was a bit older that I came to understand the power of words. If you're a business owner, you understand that power too. A business blog, when done right, can drive sales, increase revenue, and get you more customers. But as a business owner, you probably don't have the time to do all that writing. Plus, if you're not a copywriter by trade, you might feel like you're just kind of throwing words out there and they're not actually accomplishing anything. The good news is, there's a simple solution. Check it out. I call it the ultimate blog post checklist for businesses with online stores. This checklist will allow you to write better, more effective articles that convert readers into buyers. It's full of easy-to-follow examples to get your creativity flowing based on experience of nearly a million words written. And best of all, it's effective on any type of article in any industry or niche. I've successfully used this exact checklist on topics from pool table reviews to investment advice. Tired of spending tons of time writing stuff that doesn't convert? This checklist will change that by giving you highly effective blog posts and articles that transform readers into paying customers. Go to Invicta.Enterprises slash free checklist and start saving time and transforming your writing now. That's Invicta.Enterprises slash free checklist.